welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, the show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena and uh, some new formats which we're going to talk about today. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined today by our other co-host, uh, Kovac Go Blue and CGB Ob 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 Nixless. Ob Nixless Bob Bob Ob Ob. If you hadn't ascertained crafties, we have a lot to talk about today with regards to Streets of New Capenna's most infamous gangster. CGB and I are coming fresh off of a week of both playing in the Early Access event. They brought those back. It was interesting. And uh, also getting our teeth sunk in with a couple of days of playing this format. So uh, we're definitely going to spend most of the show talking about that. We also want to talk about Explorer, which is a format that was announced since the last time we recorded this podcast. So we're going to touch on that briefly as well. Yeah, CGB, just checking in, man, hearing your regular voice. How's it been going for you? It's been a minute, hasn't it? We recorded two shows two weeks ago and then took some time for the new Capenna paper release and then the new Capenna arena release. I spent the Capenna release at PAX East in Boston playing with uh, some of the pre-release events there. I got to meet a lot of fans. Thank you to everybody. Uh, Boston has been really nice to me in the past, and it did not disappoint this time. I met so many cool people. Uh, Really cool to meet people who watch the show. Also, always fun to spend time with other people, content creators in the business, and get to talk to other content creators about content creation, because it's a very weird job that's pretty tough to relate to for the like most people really don't understand the business or the job very much so big shout out to andy lavinius and amy and voxy and mtg nerd girl and other content creators i got to spend time with that was really a good weekend i got back at like 1 a.m on monday and by 11 a.m on tuesday we were in an early access event that at the time i got on the plane wasn't officially a thing oh oh my gosh They brought it back. Just when you thought you were out, they pulled you back in. They pulled us back in. I know. It was so wild to see that. And of course, it occasioned this mad dash to like get on the roster to actually play the thing. There's a number of things about that, right? Like the access to various people, the omission of various famous people such as Oh, you know, LSV, maybe a Magic player you may have heard of. Magic players such as Arne Hushenbeth, you know, Pro Tour winner, frickin' MPL member, right? Not getting invited. Top 10 streamers such as Ash Lizzle having to throw her weight around just to get on the roster. You know, we could definitely talk about that. But also, sometimes it felt like there weren't that many people playing in the early access event. Like, did you have some long queue times? Because I sure did. Oh, especially towards the end of the night, it got really long for sure. I do want to talk about the invite list for this thing. I don't think they have a real one. No, I'm not kidding. There's kind of a feels bad and there's a pride situation here, but when you found out about it, you sent a message to who we had an understanding from experience in the past was the right person, and you got added, right? So I, I see a lot of people, and I don't know if they're sending that message or not, 
but they're immediately going to social media being like, hey, I'm not in this. What's going on? I don't think they actually have a list. I don't think they even know who to invite at first. The official announcement for early access came out at 5 p.m. or something like that on one of these days. I didn't get my invite email for two more hours. I didn't talk to anybody. But like when it first came out, I was like, okay. But I didn't post anything, and I just kind of waited. And two hours later, I got an email. So I don't know what all the situations were. I would just say if you're a content creator listening to this, or if you're a fan whose favorite content creator was butthurt that they weren't invited, first of all, I agree, they should be invited. But second, you got to work with the reality that you're handed, not the reality you hope there is. And if there is literally no list, if people are really just making this up as they go, you got to be willing to send some messages or make some noise to get invited. I don't know if those people, the right people, are going to read every tweet. There was a content creator manager for Wizards of the Coast who said, reply to this tweet. And, you know, we'll try to get you into an event. I don't know how many people actually did that. There was also some kind of oblique suggestion to send an email to the previous email that we had used, which, as far as I know, yielded absolutely no results. But <laughs> maybe something happened. I don't know. The content creator program for Magic has been a rocky road, and it went from nothing at all to seemingly some amount of organization, to absolutely abandoning that organization. Like when they had the stream elements challenges and the same people were getting invited to everything and they had a Discord server, that got completely abandoned and nobody touched it for a year, I think. And now we're like rebuilding. Maybe it's going to be something in the middle. Maybe it's going to be a lot of wink, nudge, and contact the right people. Maybe it's going to be a lot of angry pros posting on Twitter that they're not invited to things. I don't know. You're right. There's something so profane and heinous about the fact that me, Rando, Arjuna, who hardly ever streams, you know, I just like reached out to the right person and I got added. I'm very grateful for that. And then meanwhile, you know, really well-known streamers who should have been added weren't because they just, they didn't whisper in the right person's ear or whatever, right? Yeah, there's something that is deeply flawed about that. And I felt almost a little bit of like survivor's guilt or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it should have been you. It should have been you, man. It is weird. And part of it was just so strange. Anyone who hasn't been living under a rock who pays any attention to like Magic Twitch or Magic Twitter or anyone would probably have just like a list of 50 people off the top of their head. I would just go down a list of streamers that I know who stream Magic and like that's already like, I don't know, 30 to 50 people right there. You can just go down the list of all the famous MPL members you know. It's just so weird. I don't understand who even decided this stuff because it just literally didn't make sense to me. I, I think that just the last minute nature, nobody knew this was coming. It was thrown together in literally about four days. Like I said, I got on a flight on Thursday morning and it wasn't a real thing. And when I got off that flight at 1 a.m. on Tuesday, the same day that the event happened, it was a thing I had to do. You know, I, I was a few hours away from doing it and I didn't have all my stuff prepped and that that sucks but it is what it is i was invited and it's, there's nothing to complain about there i do think that if they're going to do more of it it will get better that's just my hope i have a feeling that this was a thing that got really like last second like hey we pushed up the paper release now we have a six-day dead zone, and we've talked about that on the podcast in the past. We have this six-day dead zone where it's out in paper, but it's not out on arena, so the meta is meaningless. 
and they found a way to fill at least some of that space with a streamer showdown. Awesome. Just next time, hopefully we'll know it's coming and they can work on their guest list and it, it doesn't have to be this hard, man. When somebody is a proven content creator and or MPL player, it should be like you have their email by now, right? I don't know. It just blows my mind. It's hard for me to conceive of it. What I heard was that the hardest was for limited streamers. Apparently, queue times were like up to 10 minutes for the limited portion. And that's just embarrassing. You need a critical mass of people when you're doing this kind of stuff to like make it zippy and fun and have that real feeling of like you're on the arena playing. In my opinion, I feel like it should be like a more the merrier thing. I don't really understand why it wouldn't be that way. Well, back in the day for the Early Access Discord, it had 500 to 600 people from all around the world. They kind of threw that back together, but I don't think they got nearly that many people into the server. So this, again, is hopefully something they'll fix in the future by solidifying an invite list and making sure that people have notice. Totally. Well, at any rate, I did have a lot of fun playing in that event. I'm sure you did too. And I want to talk about it, but I feel like before we get elbow deep into the streets of New Capenna, I just want to talk briefly about the Explorer format because this was announced and I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people and I myself was quite excited to hear about it. So let's talk about it. CGB, do you want to give the people a quick overview of what Explorer is? Yeah, I'll try. Explorer is an MTG arena format that is designed to mimic tabletop play, paper play in the Pioneer format. Most of the cards and sets that are legal in Pioneer are not currently legal on MTG Arena, but a lot of the most popular cards are because of the power creep from the recent years. So you get a format that is similar to what Historic was, but it doesn't have the cards that were printed in the Mystical Archive unless they are also legal in Paper Pioneer, and it doesn't have the cards that were introduced in the Historic Anthologies unless those are legal in Paper Pioneer. It doesn't have the Historic Horizons cards, which were Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2 cards. This sounds like it's not that different if you look at the surface of like, well, it's old cards on Arena, and the other one's old cards on Arena, you know, cards that have rotated out of standard. But there's actually some big differences in the formats based on the sets that are legal in them. Oh, oh, and uh, no alchemy cards, and no alchemy rebalanced cards. Like, no rebalance changes affecting cards in Explore. If you haven't been, like, following along Paper Magic and you're just, like, an arena zoomer and that's the only experience with Magic you've ever had, this might seem like kind of a confusing format to you. You can kind of lump it along with Modern and Legacy and these other formats that you hear boomers talk about. But I like that you highlighted that it's going to feel similar but significantly different to Historic. And I thought... I would just play this fun little game with you, Covert Go Blue. Okay. Where I list a handful of cards and you tell the people whether they're going to be playable or available to play in the Explorer format. Oh, God. You know I don't play these formats that much. Okay. You're a pro. You got this. You got this. All right. You ready? Okay. So all you have to do is say, yes, it's in the Explorer or no, it's not. All right. Let's go. Shark Typhoon. Yes. Teferi Time Raveler. Wait, wait, are you talking about legal? Legal. Okay, this is controversial, because <laughs> I believe you threw me for a loop with this, because you said that Teferi Time Raveler was, like, banned in an event you entered for Pioneer. Yes. But then we tried to talk about it on the podcast, and you made it sound like it wasn't. So <laughs> I, I feel like I'm getting misled. I'm going to go with Teferi Time Raveler is not legal in Explorer. Yes, that is correct. It's 
back in historic, but it has been banned in Pioneer. How about Lotus Field? No, Lotus Field is definitely on Arena. I don't know why for a second. I, I was thinking of a very old card, Lotus Bloom, instead, and that's not it. Okay, Lotus Field. Lotus Field is legal in Explorer. How about Laris? Loris is not legal in Explorer because it's banned in Pioneer. Yes, it's banned in Pioneer. That is correct. Let me think of other other cards that are on Arena. Oh, okay, Ulamog. Legal in in Explorer? It is legal in Explorer because Battle for Zendikar is legal in Pioneer. Correct. Yes! I was worried about that one. I had a minute of doubting when that set came out. No, you're doing good. Emrakul, The Promised End, speaking of Eldrazi. Not on arena therefore it's not legal in explorer yes it's not an explorer that is a gotcha if i've ever heard one okay okay phyrexian tower not legal in explorer correct how about phyrexian obliterator (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea when that card was printed um no not like this (laughs) i have no idea when that card was printed but i'm gonna guess it's really old and i'm gonna say it's not legal in explorer yeah, yeah, that's correct. It's, Am I right? It's, it's not legal. <laughs> that was a really tough one. <laughs> We're going to be playing this game basically for as long as the Explorer format exists. You're going to have moments where you're like, wait, that card's in this format? And then you're going to have other moments of like, you'll be like in arena typing and you'll be like, wait, where the fluff is that one? Like, you'll be like, wait, they didn't print dig through time on arena. What are you doing wizards? It's really interesting. So pioneer is this interesting format where you have cards that have been banned in modern that are still legal in pioneer, presumably because the support just isn't quite good enough to make the cards overpowered. So, you know, you're able to play stuff like dig through time. There are just like random cards that show up in the format and you're like, wait, like what's this just completely overpowered card? Treasure cruise is another one. Yeah, you can play Treasure Cruise and Pioneer. It's really weird. I've, I've seen Arclight Phoenix decks with Temporal Trespass. Do you know what that does? Yes. Yes, I do. The extra... Uh, most arena players have no idea. <laughs> it's the extra turn delve spell, right? Yeah, it can be blue, blue, blue to take an extra turn if you have enough cards in your graveyard. Yeah, good stuff. With Galvanic Iteration, not bad. <laughs> not bad indeed. So yeah, um, Explorer, It's. I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people i think that there are a lot of people who when it really comes down to it like they want to play magic the way magic has been played basically forever they don't want to mess with these digital only cards they don't want to mess with cards that change they just want to like get a collection and be reasonably confident that the collection is going to be playable unless something gets banned in which case they'll get the wild cards back it's a very kind of established way of playing and there's basically no gotchas and i think a lot of people like that yeah we can take all the dinosaurs we can put them on an island off the coast of costa rica where they can be untouched by the outside world and they can live in peace and harmony (laughs) i like what you did there (laughs) but yeah i don't know anything more you wanted to say about the explorer format my joke might have offended some people. First of all, I think that they actually did a ton of damage to alchemy and historic and just public goodwill by doing this, these things in the wrong order. If they just created this and then released alchemy, it takes out at least not all the venom. Let's say about a 40% shave of the venom. You know, people are just going to play Explorer instead or just announce them at the same time. You know, just 
let people know that if you nerf a card, it's not going to goof up their eternal format. Because apparently that is, we talked about on the show, we don't get it, but it hits hard. Because there are people who have not let this go. I know, they post a lot of comments on YouTube when they're not happy. (laughs) Indeed. So I think one of the big questions... And I think like a big reason that people are still maybe skeptical about the format is just how they're going to roll it out and economically how they're going to roll it out. And, you know, they were saying that it's going to take them a couple of years to get it on Arena and... Pioneer, that is. Pioneer. The full pioneer, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't clarify. And I think there are a lot of people who are like, they look at the list of cards that would be needed to make like a functional pioneer format on Arena and it's really not that long. I mean... I think you could add 30 cards to Arena and have like a skeleton of the Pioneer format already playable. And then you could add like 300 cards to Arena and have most of the format playable. And, you know, if we look at these like recent set releases, all like, you know, we have a 300 card set coming to Alchemy soon. You know, we've also had like 1,000 card set releases on Arena before. So it's clearly possible. And the question is, are they going to roll out these like 15, 20 card anthologies slowly just to like totally milk people's wild cards? What do you think? They've revealed a little bit about this. I got it from a weekly MTG stream notes. And just for everybody at home, there's been a lot of announcements about organized play on Arena, about changes on Arena to events and all of these formats and all of these things that I haven't even read yet. You heard a little bit about how my schedule was last week. We're mostly playing with new cards and then we'll catch up on that stuff later. But something I definitely remember on this is they said that the historic anthologies product they've done in the past of 25 to 30 cards introduced specifically for historic from past sets will have cards in them that are legal for pioneer. (laughs) If this doesn't make you grumble a little, your reaction is the right one. If you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, here's the problem. They still called it a historic anthology. Why is that a problem? Because they sell these in a bundle What if half the cards are for Historic and half of them are for Pioneer? That's not going to make the people who like Pioneer very happy. The people who play Historic might be really happy, but the Pioneer folks don't want to buy a bundle to get their Pioneer cards. They are avoiding formats like Historic. Like These things are not, in my opinion, a majority of the people who are going to love one of these formats or the other aren't interested in mixing them very often. You know, before the, the 2008 economic crisis, with it was basically like a real estate crisis and what was happening was that people were taking like a portfolio of like 80 or 90% like solid real estate investments and then they were just like putting like these toxic bonds in there you know and they were kind of like padding out the investment suites with all of these shady investments that's kind of what it feels like it feels like they're trying to kind of like backdoor you and basically cutting the potency of these releases and i don't like it man it just uh just feels weird i'm like why can't they just give the people what we want that's my question they've said three to five years for pioneer it sounds like they plan to introduce the cards necessary to build out the format through these historic anthologies and you're right 
they could do a 300 card set and probably knock it out i don't know which fat cat's making these decisions watch it's probably jetmia jetmia is just like up at wizards headquarters just like ha, meow 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 whatever evil cat noises he makes <laughs> yeah anyway we the humble plebs we beseech you wizards just do the right thing and let us play the formats we love but speaking of formats we love covert go blue it is time for us to go back to the streets of mob nixilis otherwise known as nuke penna let's start with the early access event we both played in this event how did it go man you did a long stream i believe i did i was i remember you were live most of that day and night i stopped in a multiple times to see which uh odd contraption of various green and blueness you were working on. So yeah, I'll go first, because you might have a lot more on this than I do. I was really tired, like dead tired. So I don't remember very much, to be honest. What did I do? I believe I built like a Grixis deck with Ob in it, a Jun deck with Ob in it. I think that's all I played on stream was a Grixis deck with Obnixilis and a Jun deck with Obnixilis. That card is something <laughs> really stupid oh my god and a big part of it is i didn't want to play against it because i realized quickly that being on the other end of it it was just tilting and i thought it would actually shorten my streaming life to be on the other end of it playing like something like blue white control that just can't deal with the card oh my gosh nightmare matchup for that particular archetype it's so bizarre because you can't counter it if they pull the casualty it's copied you know you can try to fill your deck up with one mana removal spells and hope that they never untap with a creature on turn three but that's an unrealistic way to play magic i just couldn't find a useful answer and the best answer i could find were things i definitely didn't want to do um thalia is a wonderful answer to obnixilis and uh, most of the things that obnixilis presents as our skyclave apparition and various other just cheap creatures that attack and smash the thing to bits and i feel like there's been an interesting social media discourse around obnixilis there are people who play reactive decks or are playing what I would consider pretty strange Obnixilis piles, saying, this is probably insane. I really hope that this gets banned. This is Oko 2.0, because that's how we talk in Magic now. We talk in extremes. That's what gets retweeted, not the lukewarm take. And then there's the people, I don't know if they're just playing mono white left and right, or they're just all about the one, two, three curve, but they're like, ah, Obnixilis is no good when you're behind. I've just been smashing people who play Obnixilis all day. Is the truth somewhere in the middle? Probably, but the fact that the card is so insanely polarizing on its own makes it worth talking about. So it, I think every conversation about Streets of New Capenna has to start with Obnixilis. Absolutely. And I mean, most people had it at the top of their top 10 list for the new format for that reason. It's just clearly like head and shoulders as a card, as a concept, kind of above anything else that they printed in the set. Here's kind of my thought on Omnixilis. Have I beaten it? Yes, I've beaten that card plenty of times. Have I beaten that card playing a deck that wasn't specifically teched to beat that card? Not very often. I think therein lies the rub. Because I think it's fine, <laughs> like for example, Goldspan Dragon. You have a certain amount of cards in the format that are just like the best cards in the format. They're always going to be the best cards. Some cards are always going to be the best card. It's going to be a groaner every time it comes down. And, you know, various people such as myself 
we'll think at various points, yeah, that card should have probably been banned at some point. The difference, though, is that cards like Goldspan Dragon, first of all, they cost five mana, so they give you plenty of time to get set up and kind of anticipate them. And, um, you know, Goldspan, like, for all of the damage that it does, you can just kill it with a removal spell. Your opponent actually has to have the cards to back it up. There are various things that have to go right in order for a card like that to remain threatening. And I think one of the issues with Obnixilis is that all it asks you to do is to play cheap creatures, which is good in Magic anyway. Play a cheap creature on turn one or two, and cast Ob on three. That's all it asks you to do. What it asks from the opponent is astronomical. And I think that you really highlighted this, right? That the opponent doesn't just get to say, oh, problem permanent, do I have an answer? Yes or no. Is my opponent able to protect it with this other random spell they have in their hand? Yes or no. It's not like that. It's like Ob can come down and immediately make four permanents. If you sack a creature with enough power to Ob, you can like have two planeswalkers and two creatures at the end of that turn. And that is just so much heat. Assuming, and you might've played something on turn one as well. I was playing right before we jumped on this podcast and I had a sequence where an opponent at the end of their turn three, they had three creatures out. They had two orbs. They had an anvil. And I think they even had like a treasure or, or like a blood token or something as well. Their board is flooded and they're just like, go, bro. What do you got? You know, if they're on the play, you're like, great, draw my card, play my third land, do something. I guess I'll endless <laughs> detour, which is a universal removal spell at one for one. Uh, one of these like five problematic things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and at some point on my first day of playing on the ladder, an opponent actually had four copies of Obnixilis on the battlefield in front of me. Something that hasn't really been advertised about this card, you can actually have as many copies of Obnixilis on the battlefield as you are able to get the copies going. And not just through freaking a Seeker's Chariot either. If you're able to get Ob back from the graveyard, you can keep casting it and the copies stick around as long as your opponent's not able to kill them. So there's many ways that you could theoretically just build an entire army of Ob's. Yep, you can bounce the original and replay it and just make another copy and another copy. If you draw two to three obs, you can just make sure that you minus the real one for the devil and then sacrifice the devil to play a new one, making another copy. It's never a dead draw. And I think that the part that the detractors will say, well, it's not that good, it's not that impressive, is it's not that good when you're behind. Like when you have no board whatsoever and the opponent's leaning on you, then yeah, Ob's not the best card to have in your hand. You have to do other things. I will tell you, I feel like I pretty much solved that problem because my early versions, Obnixilis in Jund and Obnixilis in Grixis, they scaled up. They cast like Invoke Despairs and they cast Burn Down the Houses and they had Hagra Mauling in them and they had other like four drops and maybe some other Planeswalkers and they had Charms. So those are three mana apiece. If you play Ob with one mana removal, you're never that far behind. So there's a lot of good one mana removal. Like there's Voltage Surge and there's Bloodthirsty Adversary and there's that new card that has Casualty that does like three damage to this and three damage to that. And there's Strangle. Yeah, Strangle's a new one. Ray of Enfeeblement is a card I started to play at the end of the last format on Best of One just because it wasn't even that bad if your opponent didn't play white. Yeah, if you have like eight one mana removal spells, you're never 
very far behind. So whereas Ob was like a bridge and kind of leading up to cards like Invoke Despair in my older decks, now it's like the top end and all my cards are insanely cheap and it never feels like Ob is a bad draw because I've always got like some little creature and I remove the things that put Ob under pressure or made it inconvenient. You know what Ob reminds me of is like pre-nerf Laris. Do you remember those initial Laris decks they had in the format that were basically all one drops and maybe you had like a couple of powerful two drops and the plan was just to like play Laris on three pretty much every game and go off? Oh, before the tax. Okay. I blocked those times out of my life. That's how it feels like to me. You have these situations where, yeah, you're looking over at your opponent's board on turn three being like, what happened? where did this game go wrong for me kind of a thing yeah i played a tap land and then i cast a creature or i played a tap land and then i cast a, a, just an incidental like card draw spell or hell play a search for his content it doesn't matter you're behind a billion permanents to one i also just think that the whole just play creatures lol okay like that's fair enough but like what about those of us who like to play mid-range what about those of us who like to play ramp what about those of us who like to play control that's like a very large amount of the potential archetypes and magic that are all looking pretty shoddy against Ob, to be honest. So it's not that there aren't answers, but it's kind of like, you know, if you want to play control, what answers does white really have? What's that card, Devastating Mastery? Is that like the only card that we have? It's like the best thing I've found, and it's not great. I mean, if you're on the draw, you're not playing it till they've had Ob out and plus both of them for two turns, probably. You cast it for the student cost, it bounces the copy and resets the token situation. They're still just going to return the real Ob to their hand and play it again. It doesn't solve the problem. And then if you cast it for six, well, if they had Ob on turn three, you what is turn six? You're just going to die to their creature land because you tapped out. It's unreasonable. My first approach with playing control, trying to answer the situation was three to four devastating mastery. It's down to one. The card just isn't the solution. It's too slow. And I don't have a great solution other than they don't draw perfect. Please don't draw perfect. You know, I think about, again, like if you want to play control, I'm kind of feeling like burning down the house is probably the best solution. Yeah. Something with Goldspan Dragon to at least fly over, kill one ob, then cast your dragon's fire and kill the other, right? Maybe something like that. But I don't like that control. I'm really picky, dude. I like my blue and my white and my black. I like my espers. And that's the thing, like, a card that makes already good archetypes still good is, like, really boring. You know, we kind of want something else to do. And then, like, if I go over to, like, okay... For example, one of my favorite ways to control wide boards playing Simic was Cyclone Summoner, which is also just not that good against Tom Nixilis. I've had a lot of people ask me if Cyclone Summoner is a solution. What do you think of that suggestion, Arjuna? I could say a couple of short words, which aren't really podcast worthy about that solution. Let's just kind of imagine it, right? So like, you spent the whole game ramping towards your Cyclone Summoner, just getting totally chunked by Obnixilis. Say we actually effectively ramp too. It's turn five, they've already obbed you twice. If you've been ramping, you haven't really been affecting your opponent's board. So by the time your Cyclone Summoner comes down, there's probably going to be like one or two non-token creatures in addition to all the obs. And basically like next turn, they just like play out a creature, play ob again, make a 1-1 one -one chump blocker, which just somehow totally, <laughs> totally stops the towering steamroller, which is a 7-7 giant, dead in its tracks. Good luck, 
basically getting past an army of stupid, you know, anvil tokens or like stupid orb tokens or stupid whatever tokens while your life total just continues to get chunked and chunked away. Not the answer, crafties. I feel like my experience uh, in the early access was playing Ob because I felt like I was a fool if I didn't. So that was basically what I played. Now that mine is out of the way, and again, I was tired. Like I bowed out, I think after four or five hours, I really needed the rest. And then I still recorded some videos after I took a nap. It was what a day. But you put in a lot more hours and you played a lot of different stuff. So I want to hear more of the overview of what happened in your early access event. It might have been the longest stream that I've ever done. I think I streamed for nine and a half hours. That was definitely a chunk. And you know, I tried a handful of things, but you know, I basically stuck to Bant, right? Because everyone knew that Bant was going to be my, what is it, wedge, slice of the pie, whatever you call it. It's actually really interesting. The deck that I started out with was an earlier version of what I ended up playing like on day one. And it's just like something that I've been working on since then which is actually a mono green ramp deck. And here's what I figured out, okay? We can't bounce orb. If we're not playing aggro, we can't reliably like swarm orb in the early game. So what does ramp do? What's ramp's answer to actually dealing with orb? And the two things that I came up with were life gain and trample. Fortunately, they printed this amazing new card in this set called Titan of Industry. And um, this card, this beautiful, wonderful, luscious card was just smashing for me all day long that card is the truth i don't know where it's going to end up like in the sweaty proto meta game version of this format but like on day one that card was absolutely a house it was like tower of power people couldn't deal with it it's so versatile and it's a total ob nixless murderer as well so i'm looking up your deck list first of all and I ran into this today. Oh, really? Someone was playing the deck? Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have questions. All right. Question number one. Shield counter on the Titan. How impactful is that? I hardly ever did it. Okay. I think the only situation in which I chose to do that was when I expected my opponent to play like a destroying board wipe the next turn, which almost never happens because people aren't playing those in the format. I play them and they named it against me and it pissed me off. <laughs> yes. I have that Doom Scar foretold. I got that mastery in hand. And they bring down this Titan and they name that shield counter. And I'm like, I don't have eight mana to march of otherworldly light this. I'm going to make myself a little samurai with my like wandering emperor or something that's left over on the battlefield. Or I'm going to sunset revelry. And I'm just going to block this thing and take a bajillion damage and then wrath the next turn. And you know what they do? They play another one. Yes, they do. <laughs> Every time. Yes. Yes, they do. I hate it. <laughs> they make me so angry. Yeah. That card's really good. Like I said, who knows where it ends up. The raw power level of it is there. And it basically does all of the things that it promised to do. I did find it weak to various things such as Riveteer's Charm was surprisingly annoying. Because even though you can still make a Rhino, it's just a very efficient way to interact with the creature. That got me a couple of times. Definitely stone cold weak to the Wandering Emperor. Think about that. I had many boards where like I'd resolve it just to kind of like stabilize my board or put a threat down, but then I'd actually just end up attacking with my tokens because I didn't actually want it to get exiled. And one of the reasons for that is that one of the best things to do when you're running a bunch of Titans in your deck is actually to have things like Shigeki 
so that you can get them back from the graveyard. Because I'll tell you what, man, people can only deal with so many titans before it's just too much. So you have one Shigeki in this list on Twitter. Happy with that? Didn't think about it more? No, I think if I wasn't playing Storm the Festival, I probably would have tried to find room for two. You know what I'm talking about, man. Once you play with a set of cards, you start to learn what you can get away with. And this is one of my tricks, is like in all of my Storm the Festival decks, I'll play one Shigeki, because you just randomly hit it off of a Storm in the late game, and that's like four or five cards to refill you. That's one of my tricks in the list. So the next part I really wanted to know, because this was the thing that happened to me on Ladder where I'm looking at it, scratching my head. I didn't know it was your list at the time, but I'm like, the opponent's playing this and I'm scratching my head and I'm like, Storm the Festival and Titan of Industry. So you can't hit Titan with Storm. If Titan's in your top five when you Storm, it's going to the bottom. These are the kind of things that when I'm deck building, I really shy away from. But it's also the kind of thing that sometimes in practice you find is overrated, like playing Galvanic Iteration and Memory Delusion, the same deck. It's a non-bow, but does it really matter? So I wanted to ask you about Storm the Festival and Titan. Storm the Festival was probably the card I was most on the fence about, but here's basically why I decided to run it, was that A of all, strong card, <laughs> I've just come to respect Storm the Festival, and I feel like People playing uh, freaking, what is it, Test of Talents are like at an all-time low on the ladder at the moment. So I feel like in Best of One, you can pretty much, it resolves, with few exceptions. Planeswalkers are so popular that playing Test of Talents, it is signing up for misery, but go on. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's like now that Alrin's Epiphany is out of the format, there's some really high-profile cards that aren't the format anymore that were really weak to that card. That's one thing. And also, the deck does rely on some four and five mana permanents. And if you don't have them, you're just going to lose to an Omnix list or kind of whatever like creature soup is on the best of one ladder. And so, you know, again, like it's a chariot list. Uh, chariot, what do you know? Very good against Omnix list. Ren and Seven, it's just like foundational in basically any Storm the Festival list, in my opinion. So we definitely have that combo going on. But it also highlights another card, which I wanted to talk about. Can I hit something first? I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had the greatest music video of all time. There is only one non-land card in this picture you posted on Twitter that has a cosmetic purchased on it. And it's Storm the Festival. So I need to know. <laughs> you bought that, didn't you? <laughs> I'm not going to gloat anymore after this. I just, you know... I knew you'd love that card, man. All I'll say is I was driven to it, man. Modern Kynum wasn't doing it for me, you know? I understand. I really do. I'm going to let it go now. I just think it's beautiful that you have one non-land that's cosmetic and it's Storm the Frickin' Festival. That just warms my cold, dead heart. All right. What was the card you were going to talk about? The standout card. The card I hope to draw every game. The card I'm pissed that Arena hasn't been giving me more copies of. Topiary Stomper. That card has been an absolute boss for me in these lists. I have been surprised, frankly. Like, surprised at how good that card is. Good against Mono White, good against Control, good against Obnix lists. That card is just good. If you're building around it, if your plan is to put a bunch of lands onto the battlefield, that card's been an absolute performer for me. <laughs> Let me give you like an example of some of the cool things that you can do with this card. Here's the interesting thing. So you drop it on three, and I think a lot of people have this idea of like, 
that's just going to be dead. It's going to be like a dead game piece. People are just going to run right over it. They're not going to care about it. It's a problem. Like people know they're going to have to deal with it eventually. What can happen is that you can actually get into these states where kind of like we were talking about before, people are turning sideways and they're turning sideways and they're lowering your life. And then suddenly you like drop land seven, you play a Titan of industry, you make a rhino, you gain five life, and now your stompers online. And all of a sudden mono white's like, hold up, like what just happened to this board state? I was not prepared for this. And all of a sudden they're just getting smacked for four vigilance. In that example, if they take the four vigilance and they were at 20, you haven't done a single other point to them. They fall to 16. And then the next turn, you have 15 power. Yes, you do. You are a blizzard brawl away from, and them having one blocker away from them dying. So, and then let's talk about like, um, I don't know, anyone playing control? relying on the Wandering Emperor to take out attackers. Yeah, the creature's vigilant. So, you know, good luck with that. It's what I loved about Briarbridge Tracker, man. It's so good. I've had so many games against controlling decks where, like, I'll play the first Topiary and I get another land. If I have that sixth sense, like, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna wipe me or whatever, I'll just play another one, right? You get another land. And then you have eight power on the board. Control Mage can't ignore that, right? They're just cracking in every turn. They have to do something about it. And as soon as they do, like now you have eight mana or whatever you ramped up to, you can follow up with a Titan, you can Shigeki back, like you can just, it sets you up so nicely. So I found no matchup in which the card was dead. And another thing that like a curve I actually really enjoyed doing is sometimes you'll go like emergent sequence into a turn three chariot. And then on turn four, you know, a lot of times people will be like, Ren and seven, or I want to be playing like some other impactful five drop the turn after I play the chariot. But sometimes like you look at your opponent's board composition, or maybe they leave up mana, or maybe like this, maybe that. You're like, this isn't going to work out for me to play my Planeswalker. So you can play your Topiary Stomper and keep ramping up to like a Storm the Festival, say, and you can immediately crew your chariot and start getting in. There were just so many sequences where dropping it the turn after I played a chariot, put the perfect amount of pressure on my opponent and kind of like stymied the removal or the counter spell or whatever that they were leaving up to deal with my follow-up play. There's one more new card in here. Uh, it's Workshop Warchief, the relative of Thragtusk. I, I want to know how it did. I really want to know the blitz to cast ratio. So there's only one reason this card exists, in my opinion, and that's Obnixilis. And so for specifically that card and those decks, the card is really, really good. I would say 75% blitzed. Part of that is just that like the depths, the deck's heavy in five and six drops. And so you tend to want to play those out first. The situation I really like it for is for like the second ob, right? Or like the post meat hook massacre, because this is what typically happens is like, you'll get this really aggressive board and you'll attack down the orbs. And then at some point they'll get up to enough mana where they can wipe your board. And then they'll reestablish. And at that point, the card's so good because it just comes out of nowhere. It's like too big for their blockers. It leaves behind another attacker that can keep pressuring orb and it gains you that critical life. So if it weren't for Obnixilis, I just like probably wouldn't run the creature at all. Okay. Arena been uh, feeding you a good amount of land. I mean, you have 27 land and you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 ramp spells. <laughs> yes, it's actually Arena has been like mercifully wonderful to me in the land arena. But 
I think like it can't be overstated that Neverwinter Dryad is just a good magic card. Like people who underestimate that card do so at their peril. And one of the reasons it's so good is that like you can keep a two land over the Neverwinter Dryad and have a reasonable confidence that you're going to hit your third land drop. And that's what sets you up for your topiary stompers and whatever else. So basically it games the best of one system in a way that I like. I'm enjoying looking at your Twitter feed right now because it's this combination of suck it, ob player, look at my two to three titan of industries, I trample you to death, die, and okay, here's a picture of four obs on like turn four, and this is, and you're at six life. I won that 30. game, it's though. Like, <laughs> I won that game. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Of course, of That's course what I'm you saying. did. <laughs> I don't know how good this mono green deck is overall, but it is a lean and mean Obnixless killing machine. So anyway, I've definitely been having fun playing it, and uh, it's it's got game against mono white and a bunch of other nonsense too. Nice. That was the standout to you? Did you have any other fun ones to, that you come to mind from your stream? The deck that I probably spent the most time playing was uh, Bantstorm, the festival list. I just can't quit that card, man. But here's the reason why. It was a Simic Ascendancy list, and in my opinion, like if you're playing Elspeth and you're playing Simic Ascendancy, that just screams Storm the Festival to me. Simic Ascendancy? Do you mean Broker's Ascendancy? Oh, Broker's Ascendancy. That's what I mean. That card, I, I don't know how good that shell is, but I will say like once if you do the thing, like you get your chariot down and your tokens and you get your Broker's Ascendancy down, it goes off really quickly. You just build up so much momentum and it's really hard for the opponent to deal with it. All of a sudden you're ultimating your Planeswalkers and stuff. So yeah, that deck was a lot of fun, but probably too slow. I don't know if there's a good way to speed up a deck that features like a turn three kind of nothing on the board play without like a Birds of Paradise type card in the format or a Noble Hierarch, a Llanowar Elf, something to help you cast it, right? You run into this problem a lot with Storm the Festival where you want to run these interesting permanents like Mirrorbox and stuff to hit off the Storm. But then like, you know, you get these situations where your opening hand is like three lands, two of that random three drop and a couple of Storm the Festivals or whatever. And it's just so rancidly bad, right? I don't know if it's actually going to be a thing, the Broker's Ascendancy, but... It's a really incredibly powerful card. And, it, you know, it combos very well with Elspeth. So let's talk about Elspeth a little bit, because, you know, I spent a fair amount of time playing with the Planeswalker, and I've come to the conclusion that I think it's, if not a win more card, then, like, uh, it's bad when you're behind, basically. I never really found a situation where, like, the hope was that, like, you play Elspeth, you hit some relevant creature off the top of your deck, and it protects a creature and you feel good about it. But by and large, I just found it to be kind of underpowered in that situation. It was amazing, like a parity, right? Or it was amazing for getting a token up in the air to kill your opponent's Planeswalker or whatever. But like, I don't know. In the end, the card didn't impress me in like a competitive sense. If a plus one, plus one counter, plus ability every turn is allowed to like keep happening, keep snowballing without you being able to kill all the creatures or the planeswalker. Yeah, that card runs away with the game really fast. But it is kind of reliant on coming down in a situation where you're at parity, maybe slightly behind, but the opponent doesn't have removal so that your creature can stabilize. And it's just pretty unreliable to expect a creature to stabilize in current magic. It's been that way for quite a while, I think. But the card's definitely not bad. I, I, I stand by, like... It'll be a one of in 
a deck here and there and definitely a cool sideboard card but probably not a staple not something you like build your whole curve towards because i mean it's a like turn four they wrath you and then you untap with the elspeth and you can try to hit something nice off the shield counter but they only have to answer one thing i i messed around with a lot of different bant lists people were like really excited for some reason for me to build like a bant ramp deck and i didn't really know why like i i don't really know what we get out of ramping in bant for me the most compelling thing was kind of like we were talking about last format where you just have an azorius control deck with like a turtle shigeki looping lockout so i can talk about that if you want yes yes let's get into some of your shenanigans all right so we move from the early access event to release day which was at the time we're recording yesterday and one of the finest release days in MTG Arena history. They're known for being just you log in, and at the time they said they would, you get to play Magic, right? I will say this. If you woke up to uh, try out these new cards, you would find the store fully functional, which has not often been the case. The store... You can say Wizards got their priorities in order because that store worked perfectly. It was stocked with all the new cards and bundles and cosmetics. And then you would build your deck and you would open your packs and you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is going so well. And then you would just try to play a game against anybody in an event or a play queue or a ladder against really anybody in the world. And you couldn't do it. <laughs> just <laughs> the, match, the matchmaker completely down. I don't know how long. It was between three to five hours. I was live the whole time, just filling time. I feel like that the first half of the stream was just you getting debated. Like someone would come in the chat and be like, CGB, it works. And you'd be like, oh, does it really this time? And then it would be like, network disconnected. <laughs> yeah, because Crokies gave up and logged off. So they all came to my chat to debate me because that's the culture of uh, Twitch at large, which... Honestly, I enjoy it at the end of the day, but I like a lot more being in Crokey's chat and doing it to him than getting it done to me. <laughs> we watched everything from YouTube videos and uh, just all kinds of stuff, just waiting. Um, I played against Amazonian in some direct challenge games. She wanted to duel, so I did a little bit of that. But, I mean, for the most part, it was filling time. And then I think with about two hours, I think I streamed about two hours after it finally started working. And the only deck I played was a blue-white control deck, Splashing Green, for Broker's Charm and for Endless Detour. And by the end of my work on the deck, it had a Shigeki. And the idea here is, as much as I like the Sky Turtle and it feels very satisfying and very clean, Endless Detour is a really flexible card. It can do so many things. You want four copies anyway, in my opinion, in that deck. So you don't need another spot on the Sky Turtle. If you have a Shigeki and Memory Deluges and Broker's Charms to draw through your deck, if you Shigeki back like two or three Endless Detours and you just use the Endless Detour to get back the Shigeki, it is a little slower because you lose like a draw step, but it, it's effectively the same. You're just continually getting these awesome answers that lock the opponent out of the game and setting up this loop that the more mana you get, the more cards you get back, and you just do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you're never going to deck. You can just keep Endless Detouring to the top of your own deck and just redrawing your graveyard. And um, man, that is satisfying for me. <laughs> But you didn't stop there. Now, I remember seeing some Lithofarm engine shenanigans. 
I tried a variety of endgames. The Lithoform endgame is interesting because if you play Lithoform Engine and then use it to copy Endless Detour, you basically can target the opponent's thing and then use the copy to target something in your graveyard so you're getting something back at the same time, which can be another Endless Detour. So the idea being that if you're drawing Endless Detour every turn and the opponent is drawing the same card every turn because you're Endless Detouring them every turn, then you're kind of in a stuck state, right? They can't win. Like eventually they'll 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 submit to the pain. But I also included one copy of Teferi, who slows the sunset. Because if you activate a creature land and you use Teferi and you copy its ability with Lithoform Engine, you can gain semi-infinite life. As much life as you're willing to click for. Because you just keep untapping the Lithoform engine with the copied ability and the creature land and a regular land generating, you know, two mana and another Lithoform trigger every single time. So that was fun as a, like, Ob could get me to two, but then I'm going back up. Let me think about this. So if either your land or your, like, mana dog slash creature land is able to produce two mana, then you'd be able to generate infinite mana with that loop, right? That would be true. You got a you got a trick there for me. I don't think so in standard. No, there's got to be like an enchantment, like a um. I, I'm sure there is one. Like it makes something a snowland, and now it taps for two mana. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're right. They even printed one in a recent set that I think makes a permanent tap for double green or something like that. So yeah, sure. If you wanted to run something like that in your deck, you know, it's kind of point well taken that like infinite life is usually good enough. It can be, especially if you can't deck because you can keep relithoforming endless detours at nauseum as much as you need to. I ended up cutting the lithoform to fairy things in the end just because I honestly feel like in best of one, you just can't have dead slots. And it didn't often come down to it. It was a cool thing I could do. But if I'm using Shigeki to get back a revitalize and two endless detours and a devastating mastery every turn... I don't need that combo. It was cool the first time I did it. I will tell you, having to actually click through that combo to gain the life gets really exhausting. You're getting like a repetitive stress injury and <laughs> having... <laughs> Carpal tunnel is becoming a serious risk to my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. We, we can't go there. No, we want a happy CGB. And we also just want you to enjoy magic. And I feel like at some point, doing that shenanigan it's just gonna take the joy away and somehow i'm fine with shigeki and endless detours that just brings me joy whereas uh just clicking through a teferi life combo doesn't i don't know how to explain it i don't know why i'm this way ask my mom i mean i have to say yeah i played against a deck similar to yours uh, on the ladder earlier today and it was really powerful you know they they had like farewell and they had the wandering emperor and they were doing the shigeki endless detour loop and uh, yeah, once they get to enough mana, it's basically unbeatable. There's just nothing you can really do about it. You know, when someone's able to like spend six mana to Wrath the Board and like three mana for the Endless Detour and whatever for the Shigeki and this and that, like it's just game over. The mana is really good. If you're going to run those three color decks, the Tri Lands plus the Pathways plus the Chill Lands make it easy. It's amazing how easy like casting a Devastating Mastery is. It's amazing how easy casting an Endless Detour on three and a Devastating Mastery on six is. It's kind of awesome. The Broker's Charm also, very impressive. Uh, instant Speed Divination does not suck, but the fact that it's also flexible enough to hit an enchantment, there are so many things. The freaking Fable of the Bearer Breaker is like everyone's new favorite card. 
I in the early access I played against that on turn three, um, six out of seven games in a row at one point, and the seventh it came down on turn four. <laughs> yep. So there you go. Very different experience. <laughs> and you know, I have to say, like in my experience of this new format so far, I've actually been underwhelmed by that card. I found it to be too slow, and there are too many ways to like answer the enchantment part of it. Have you seen anyone going off with that in the new format? I know it can happen, but like, have you seen anyone doing it? No, that card I'm much more, it makes me groan a bit because it's samey. You know, I've seen it so many times. When I look back at the games, I'm like way more likely to beat that card than a number of other turn three plays. I think we've all learned to swallow our pride a little. Just kill the 2-2, let them have the rummage, and then you don't have to kill the other 2-2 for two turns, right? Because it flips and then it comes on summoning sick, and then they still need another thing to target with it. So you can just be patient, line up your board wipe or your removal spell for that turn, and do other things in the meantime that keep them busy. So Fable of the Mirror Breaker, good card. Hard, but I think it's it probably shouldn't be a four of anymore if you have other things to do with the spots. I, three and two is totally reasonable. Yeah, I think it's overrated. Word got out that it was a good card, and then like people started running it in everything, and I think that's really the wrong approach. Just because Chris Patello got away with it on stream or whatever, like <laughs> doesn't mean that it's the thing that everyone needs to do. You know, just because it's like happens to have been really really good in the alchemy meta game for like a particular tournament also doesn't mean that you should just be jamming it in all of your red standard decks. I hadn't been playing for a little while there. I'd kind of dropped out and I came back to that card's popularity and I, I don't really understand it. I do, but I see where you're coming from. It's definitely not Obnixilis. Ob, ob, there are people who are, are trying to defend like Obnixilis is totally fine, totally beatable. Fable is better. I they're very different cards. I don't think that that comparison is close to a thing, but Ob is unquestionably a powerful card, and it will kill you. <laughs> if I had to decide which of those two cards to play, it would be Ob in a heartbeat. So let's just like go through and talk about some other cards and archetypes that we saw. I've seen some people try like the Rafine deck. I'm going to call it the, the Rafine deck. Basically like Esper, small creature, kind of like aggro mid-range valued dot deck i don't know how has that deck landed for you the versions that you've seen and tried so i played the very aggressive version which is like mono white splash rafine and the oh god it connives and it divides by zero as a spellbinder obscure spellbinder something like that oh yeah that the four drop yeah uh, the bottle brush will get it and put the there and then you'll know the name that i'm usually good at i loved that deck because if any bit of your first three turns was a good curve and it stuck around if you untap on turn four with like wandering emperor or the spellbinder up yeah they're not coming back <laughs> whatever their meat hook play is gonna be and i'm gonna just return it to their hand and force them to try again next turn they're not coming back we're done here rafine is sick I have had multiple connives for more than four where it feels like you're just drawing an insane amount of cards. And then, granted, you chuck most of them, but you end up with like one or two of the best possible cards you could have on hand for next turn, and you're attacking with a giant freaking monster. And it's kind of absurd what that card does. Or you like pitch three lands that you didn't need and you just drew three cards. Oh yeah, that's an option as well. Really good flood mitigator. I was running 25 lands in a mostly white aggro deck and feeling good about it. Again, the colors were easy. Getting Esper on turn three wasn't, 
I had to cut some of my one drop so I could play Rafine's Tower as that's like a pseudo one drop as a tap land. But other than that, we're curving. So that was my question. Was it? Were you doing like an eye twitch thing or like what was what was your plan? No, 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 no. I was doing white aggro splash Rafine and that one spellbinder card. That was it. So all your one drops were white. It, oh yeah, it's so smooth. So I had four hopeful initiates, and that was it for one drops. The end. Okay. And then after that, we're playing like four Thalia, four Luminarch Aspirant, and I think I had three Sungold Sentinel because Reanimator for some reason was super popular at early access. Dude, I found that too. There are a lot of like Toxrill shenanigans and nonsense. There is some memeing going on. A lot of Olivia plus Titan of Industry stuff going on. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't see any of that, but fun times. But I mean, that could be um, adversary, like intrepid adversary would fit that spot perfectly fine on any good two drop. And then the three drops were like Brutal Cathar and Paulo and Rafine. And the beauty of Brutal Cathar is you play that on turn three and it's like you've got all these flash threats, the f- Obscura Spellbinder, which I'm probably still saying the wrong word. Yeah, Obscura Interceptor. There, okay. Obscura Interceptor. <laughs> I liked Obscura Spellbinder, though. Good name. It's like uh, <laughs> another card already has it or something. <laughs> Elite Spellbinder. It's like only good cards have that name. Huh, funny. But it's really cool that you can play like Thalia and Brutal Cathar and then pass, and your Brutal Cathar flips, and then you Obscura Interceptor their overpriced meat hook or overpriced spell through your Thalia, like, because it's a creature. Those things just felt so unbeatable to me. That's pretty clean. Yep. Oh, and another sweet thing is that with Rafine, you can choose which creature connives, right? You can just start buffing your Thalia and have, like, basically an unblockable attacker. If you have, like, the god draw where you go turn one planes, turn two, like, pathway on black, turn three chill land that's blue-white, you can go hopeful initiate Thalia Rafine, and you're attacking with a hopeful initiate that becomes, like, a 3-4 and a Thalia that becomes a 4-3 on turn three. That's gnarly. Oh, no, I'm one off. The hopeful initiate just becomes a 2-3 in that spot. My bad. But still, that's very hard to deal with. You're getting taxed. Rafine has ward. I imagine that people really struggle with the combination of Thalia and Rafine. Basically a ward too, if you curve in that manner. Absolutely brutal. Did we mention that Rafine flies? Like, like it gets huge really quick, and it flies. Yeah, it has a big butt, and it doesn't lie, man. That thing gets chonky. We talked on the show when it was revealed. I don't know how people kill this. Well, nobody showed that they know how. All of that sounds fun. Did it actually seem good? Yeah, I think I only lost one game. And then I'm like, this is white aggro, and I'm going to put this away. (laughs) But the video's out. I I definitely rampaged. And it's sad, because I hate this, Arjuna. I hate that Thalia... And like these kind of aggressive white cards that have been popular for a year already. They're the best way to beat Ob, though. They really are. No, they are. It makes me very sad. It's so clean. Like Thalia, Brutal Cathar takes out the devils. You get an extra Wan-Wan with Adeline. It's just all, it's so beautiful and, and perfect. I wish I enjoyed playing white aggro because I feel like it's the best time to be alive. Like you're living in your best timeline. These cards that are insanely powerful have one weakness. It's the same thing with like All Runs Epiphany, Galvanic Iteration, right? Holebreaker Horror. They keep on doing this, Wandering Emperor. They keep on printing these cards that in a vacuum are so hard to beat and pushed. Unless you're playing cheap creatures in Thalia. And it's just so brutal. Yeah, she's not getting any worse, that's for sure. 
Which is why I've been playing chonky, rampy green creatures that DGAF. <laughs> That's a pretty interesting solution. And I was going to say, like, kind of traditional mono green is a good place to go because of all the trample and some of the hasty trample if you want to beat Ob. But I like your kind of go way over the top. I'm not surprised coming from you, but I, I, I do like the approach. I started as a turn sideways green gamer. Yeah, now it's just mono seven drops. Let's see. I've seen various like Grixis E brews that have all seemed absolutely heinous to me. Have you seen anything in kind of the Grixis sector that's looked compelling to you? Are these the Grixis decks that play Ob on turn three or the ones that don't? Because that seems to be what matters. <laughs> I feel like the, the Rakdos decks I've seen play Ob are usually Jund. Is there a reason to play Ob and Grixis that I'm not thinking of? There's various cards here and there. Like I, I worked with Tainted Indulgence, which is a really cool like draw two, discard one, or just straight up draw two. Does seem to get there. You know, about turn five or six, you get there with a nice full graveyard and you get solid draw two action. You also in that deck can have expressive iteration and deadly dispute. So I don't even know if you need it. Uh, that was going to be my follow up. Yeah unsold there the both those cards are really good and the heart stabber the uh blue and black for the one one that when it dies you mill two cards and draw a card and if you have five types of casting cost in graveyard is a three three death touch flyer i came down on that card after playing a lot with it you don't need to it just didn't really hold up it's also really sad that death touch got significantly worse against shield counters because those were running around quite a bit yeah, not great, not great. So I'm off the heart stabber, and I think that leaves Grixis in a position where you don't need to be Grixis unless you really want to splash some kind of a counter spell in your sideboard, probably more of a best of three thing, because the objects that started out as Grixis are now just really close to or completely Rakdos. That's just it. Like in an Obnixilis metagame, counter spells just shouldn't be CGB. I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of early access telling people why negate wasn't a good answer to Obnixilis. Oh my <laughs> god. This could be a show. We we did the is it legal in Explorer. Like we could do the Twitch chat says this is a good answer to Obnixilis. And is it or not? I mean, that was that was all day, both days. I'll just, like, beat you to the chase, CGB. It's no to everything. <laughs> it is. It's no. Is the card that you're talking about, does it cost more than three mana? Then the answer is no. Does the card that you're talking about remove one Planeswalker, but not two? Then the answer is no. <laughs> does the card you're talking about counter one spell, but not two? Then the answer is No. <laughs> My answer was like, the only acceptable answer in my chat is, is it big and trampling and gaining you life? <laughs> if so, yay. <laughs> or is it blowing up every single permanent on your opponent's board? Yay. That's kind of okay, but... You still have to get there. Uh, yeah, you still need like a lot of life gain and stall tactic just to blow up the board, which is so hard to do. And everybody's ready for it, because you always take damage afterwards. They always have the, the underdog, and they always have the creature land. It, it, oh, it's... I feel like they felt like they were being clever in printing like a connive counter spell, which was theoretically supposed to like deal with the Obnix, right? I play a one drop, and then when my opponent goes for the Obnixilis, I sacrifice it, and I do that double counter spell, whatever. But it's like, 
one of those is like a good proactive play regardless and the other is like a pretty terrible reactive play a lot of the time if your opponent suspects it they can just like play a bunch of random one drop creatures and stuff that like really doesn't matter and just make you waste your mana yeah you're talking about the quench that has casualty Exactly. I can't remember the name of it, but I had two of it in Limited. It was obnoxious how easily my opponents could play around it in Limited. That card, it, in my opinion, it seemed like they positioned that as an answer to it. To me, it seems pretty woefully underprepared to deal with that card. Is that a little chat? Is that what that card is? No, that's, that's the card drawing one. Oh, okay. Is it Make Disappear? Yeah, maybe that's it. Whatever, I'm just going to look bad. I am not good at the card names in this set, and I even played multiple limited events at PAX, and I'm still bad at the card names in this set. I think it's because they just don't click as magic card names to me. Maybe it's just that they don't click as magic cards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> there are so many cards in this set that they look like a frame on a storyboard for a mob show or movie. That's exactly what they are. Like, they're a piece of a storyboard. Yeah, you're right. The card was Make Disappear. I said this during our set review, but, like, I feel like if Tempo, like a blue Tempo deck is a thing, then this card is probably going to be sweet. But other than that, it's hard for me to imagine it really seeing any play. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't save control. I don't know what does. I play control because I love it, but I always feel like I'm dealing myself. I have chosen to get dealt from the lower half of the deck on this one. And... It's an uphill slog, and I love it, but there you are. How about Angels? Have you played the Angel deck, or have you seen it? I haven't played with or against it. I watched Andrea Mangucci just absolutely shredding people during early access with it. I think it was the first deck that he sleeved up. Giada on turn two is nasty. If you don't answer Giada on turn two, you're in trouble. The curve of Giada into the one I never remember, the three drop that we hate. Righteous Valkyrie. Righteous Valkyrie, that's it. So so that curve is just like such a solid meat and potatoes in the deck. But he was even doing good work with like the Valkyrie saga. Oh, Fira's Retribution. Yeah, Fira's Retribution. That is no joke in an angel deck. I was actually looking back at some of my angel videos that that deck is mostly untouched since Strixhaven and Kaldheim, and there's not a lot of reason that we can't play this now. Alrun's Epiphany was a big problem. That's gone. This deck is evasive? That can mean it attacks Ob very efficiently. Probably drives the Anvil players crazy. Yeah, how good is Omnixilis if half of your cards or most of your cards have flying? Half of your cards. I'm sorry. You are not an angel gamer, are you? Only one card leaves home without flying, and it's Luminar Cast Pirate. I was remembering those decks, like, they had some clerics in them, right? Like, didn't they also play the Ozov cleric? I mean, you could, but you shouldn't. Maybe not Not good anymore. Maybe I'm just having a standard 2022 flashback. Wait, yeah, I, I think Giada and Friends are probably pretty good against Obnik's list, especially if you're gaining life and stuff. That deck probably still has the same weaknesses it did before, which is namely just like if your opponent has a couple of removal spells in key spots. Fading Hope. Fading Hope was a big problem for that deck because of Angel Tokens, but that might be, you know, on the decline. Yeah, could be on the out. I always loved playing against Angels as a mono green gamer because they were always like spending four mana to make some big juicy creature that you could just freaking blizzard brawl to oblivion and smash face. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. But Giada is, she is the business. That card is legit terrifying. That's going to be the first thing I want to try. We'll see if we can make a good angel list for the YouTube audience. Before we get out of here, CGB, 
Let's just go down some cards and do a quick gas or ass. All right, you ready? All right, depopulate. I'm gonna give it gas, but I'm only running like max two, maybe one, and I still think Doomscar is the place to be right now. Okay, sounds good. How about Illuminator Virtuoso? Have you lost to that card? That's the double striker that connives. Then I'm gonna give this an ass because I did play against it, but I beat it. I feel like if you have removal, you win, and if you don't have removal, you tend to lose. I tend to have removal. Okay, Sanctuary One. Okay, what did what it do? The five five shield counter ETBs draws a card, makes a citizen. I, I've had it in a few decks, but I've never drawn it. I was always like kind of testing one copy, but I never drew it and i've never had it on the battlefield and it's never been on the battlefield against me i don't feel like i can judge i feel like that card is wherever you the listener would put that on power level that's kind of where it is <laughs> no wow we to throw it to them leave a comment yeah leave a comment exactly ledger shredder see i'm having trouble remembering what these two it's the one three blue flyer for one and a blue Connives and your opponent cast their second spell each turn. Yeah, that's an ass for me. I even had it in limited. It was not good for me. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, bad and limited. There you I, go. Well, for me. Um, I saw you playing an offer you can't refuse. Gas or ass? Ooh, it's, oh, I hate that card. But it's worth it in like a Shigeki deck because if you have that one extra mana, you want that one mana play so that you can like Shigeki for three cards and cast one instead of Shigekiing for two cards. Like it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's kind of legit actually. It's the tiniest bit of gas. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> okay, okay. Reluctant gas. <laughs> I'm basically just scrolling through the spoiler here and seeing cards that jump out at me. I'm in black and I haven't seen anything. Oh, Shakedown Heavy. Ass. Ass, yeah. I found that card to be just pretty much ass as well. I'd never put it in a deck of my own, but I just cast it aside. Didn't even give it the respect it deserves. Ignored it. Cast aside. Tenacious Underdog, or as I have taken to calling it, Tenacious D. Uh, That card is real. Oh my God, that card is gas. I don't know what the right number is. There are times when I'm like... I could draw infinite of this and I'd be fine. And there are times when I'm like, I really only have space for one or two. I think the more like blood tokens and fable of the mirror breaker you insist on running, the more you get value out of just chucking it in the graveyard and bringing it back later, like the more you want to run. But it's a great card. Really good card. I've been impressed with it. Okay, how about professional face breaker? You played with or against this card? Yes, played against it many times. I did lose to it once, but I, it was like I had a bad hand. I'm going to honestly give that an ass i think it's just not enough impact for the cost your three drops have to be busted now it's interesting like i was building like a gruel treasure deck and people in my chat were like why aren't we playing that card and i just in my gut i just was like "Mm, just feels wrong just feels like it's not gonna get there and um i have found it to be on the whole kind of underwhelming uh okay speaking of of which gala greeters gas or ass is one of the funnest cards like doing the cabaretti make a billion creatures thing is one of the funnest things you can do it, you just get that cool release of like here's a million triggers when i play a thing i, I cast burn down the house with two Gallagreeters and a prosperous innkeeper on the battlefield making devils and you're like whoosh to the moon i don't think it's competitive good but i mean it is it's casual gas I think that's actually a really good description of it. Definitely fun. It's fun with, um, well, uh, with this next card, Ginny Faye, gas or ass. What do you think? 
I've never actually made a single cat or dog token with that card. I gotta call it ass, but that's because I've never been able to do the thing. And uh, watching LVD, a legend at a YouTube video doing it, I was like, this is why he's great and I'm whatever the hell I am spiking with Ob because somehow he makes this stuff happen and look easy. And whenever I try to play these things, my Ginny Faye is dead and I'm left with like some bad token synergy uh but um he's great and uh he made a great video that made jenny Faye look like a bomb and it's my wife's favorite card from the set so some kind of gas i mean i definitely went off with it and had it gone off with against me at the early access i feel like it's probably not good enough for constructed but like damn did i make a lot of cats and dogs that card has the power like it might not be competitive but it has the power okay let's talk about the charms which of the charms after playing with them have ended up looking gassy to you none of them have let me down where i'm looking at this and like you know this doesn't do anything you know what i mean that has not happened i've been impressed with most of them actually above where i thought they would be just a little bit where I'm always like, every time I open the deck builder, I'm like, ooh, can I get a third charm? They make me really happy. Riveteer's charm in particular. I, I usually get two cards out of it easily when I do the draw effect, but a couple times I hit three, feels great. And the card is excellent against Shigeki and it's excellent against Goldspan Dragon. Like Shigeki is really unhappy when you're like, in response, I exile your graveyard. Oh, I exile your whole graveyard. Yeah, I forgot that that was a mode on the card. Sweet. Nice 10 mana discard your Shigeki. Get nothing. Cool, man. Good work. <laughs> it's very fun. The Maestro's Charm, the burn mode. Used a lot more than I thought it would be. Mostly because Ob is busted quite honestly. And the opponents usually avoid discarding, so they end up at a really low life total. And then you're like, Maestro's Charm, you lose three. Untap. Cast Bloodthirsty Adversary, you lose three. Nice. <laughs> I dig it. And we're done here. So that's really good. So those are the two that I'm enjoying the most. And Broker's Charm, I'm just drawn to all over the place. The fact that that's three mana, you had Memory Deluge, and you had Behold the Multiverse, and they were both good, and you could run a lot of both of them if you wanted to build a blue-white control deck that kept up in cards with an it control deck. But the fact that they're both four mana means it's clunky, and you have a lot of bad turn threes. And now you're just like, Broker's Charm, draw two. Next turn, Memory Deluge, draw two more. This is for a control mirror, obviously, but it makes a big difference. It used to be that the opponent could kind of lock you out of your card draw if they had you know, cheap counter spells or test of talents, and now they can't really do it. Maybe you can corroborate this or not, but I feel like leaving up three mana is kind of like the magic number for control. I could have a removal spell. I could have some cancel variant. I could have, you know, this or that. And I feel like, yeah, any spell that like earns its place in the three drop slot at instant speed in a control deck is probably worth considering, right? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, Endless Detour and Broker's Charm basically made your three-mana spot meaningful again. Because you're right, three-mana is supposed to be a good breakpoint for control decks, but it wasn't. It was four-mana when you had Wandering Emperor Memory Deluge, you know? And everything that happened before that, you usually got to do whatever you wanted unless they turn two foretold, turn three Doomscard. And now it's like turn three. A lot could go wrong if you don't play into it. Something can go wrong if you don't the do and don't push and pull is there speaking of endless detour i think we've we've both ascertained that that card is playable i was playing it in bant list and ramp list and stuff like that and i wasn't very impressed with it in a proactive deck 
at the moment, I'm definitely feeling like it's more of a control card. Do you have any kind of inclination on that? Yeah, I just think that three mana for a removal spell and only a removal type effect, it's too much now. Like, you can't play Murder or Hero's Downfall, you know, in these formats. You can't get just one thing for three mana. Your opponent's getting two Planeswalkers for three mana, Arjuna. You can't get one thing for three mana. You need it to be cheap or need to come with a body like Brutal Cathar and Skyclave Apparition. If you're aggressive, your three mana play can't just be remove something. Yeah, I felt like it was only good in a deck that could really make use of the different sides and exactly a deck that might want to deal with something another control deck does or get back a sweeper on top of your deck or just like the versatility. It really seemed to be the strength of the card. And if your deck doesn't really use that, then and want the game to go long and generate a lot of mana and leave mana up and stuff like it just it seemed like it wasn't very good. Which brings me to Void Rend. Gas or ass? haven't played it at all so that's the thing like my esper deck i think is clearly meant to be a creature deck because rafine is good when there are creatures already on the board when you cast it on curve so i don't want to spend turn three doing a murder (laughs) you know even though it can hit any permanent and gets through ward so i need to play an esper control deck to test that theory and i'm i'm not excited about doing that because of the current incentives in the format the endless detour deck at least when it goes along can like create this inevitability you can play esper planeswalkers you can play esper angels i guess and you can play like various esper creature decks and i don't know if any of those want three mana murder even a very versatile one that can't be countered i think that you're dead on about that yeah a few people played it against me at the early access and i was never very impressed with it Yeah, it's always like, fine, you know, you killed my thing that probably generated two permanents, like my Wandering Emperor or whatever, and I'll just play the next one. It might end up being an important sideboard card against like very specific permanents in the metagame. Maybe like if a Rafine thing really takes off and you're having a really hard time killing the Rafine. Graveyard Trespasser. Exactly, something like that. Maybe there is like some control deck that's like really good at protecting a powerful Planeswalker or something and you just need to get it out of there. Goldspan Dragon becomes a thing again. I could see uses, but to me it seems like um, more of a scalpel, whereas the Endless Detour is kind of like a, a sledgehammer in those decks. How about Tainted Indulgence? You talked about it a little bit, but do you think it's actually a good card? It's got a tough job, because if you're playing enough creatures, you have Deadly Dispute. And it's not better than Deadly Dispute. And if you are playing blue and red, you have Expressive Iteration. And I don't think it's better than Expressive Iteration. It has trouble finding a home, but it's a good card. I'm not sure what deck you want to play it with. Especially, like, if you're going to play a creature deck... Uh, and you're going to play things like Ob, which there's a lot of incentive to, you would rather play a creature on turn two than an indulgence. You want this card at instant speed to be so, like an option you could play over some kind of an answer or other flash threat, and don't see the deck for it yet. I feel like there might just be a dedicated Demir deck, and if so, like, cool, it's going to be a good get for that deck. But that doesn't seem to be a possibility anytime soon. Yeah, we don't have the incentives right now to just chill back and try to control things that are uncontrollable. That basically covers like everything that was on my mind for the set. Do you have any closing things you wanted to bring up, CGB? I'm concerned. When something hits you as like the grown, oh no, I guess this game is over, but it's going to take another 15 minutes for the game to end, and it's the first day of playing against it, 
that is scary. Like the last time I can really remember that was like Rune Crab and Omnath. <laughs> At the end of early access, I was like, well, I hope something is banned soon. Because <laughs> that wasn't very fun. So I'm, I'm worried about the Ob meta. I have this bad feeling that it's particularly harsh to what I enjoy. So my opinion might be very biased. And it maybe the data will say it's not that bad. You should just be playing white aggro, you freaking loser, like everybody else. And then you'll solve your ob problem, and I'll be like, ugh, fine. But right now, as something that you just can't really... You just have almost no game against as a control deck. I really wish it didn't exist. It's not that Ob is like unanswerable, that you can't beat it, or that it's just like so much more powerful than anything else. It's just that it really is warping. I feel like it's a very warping card. And if you want to keep up with it, you have to make certain decisions. And I feel like it's like the Galvanic Iteration Aaron's Epiphany thing. Like it's just cutting such a massive swath through the meta game and making it about like just a handful of things. And I feel like that's just bad for magic. I personally feel like there's this established thing that they're doing now where they're like, print a set with one super chase card, which will probably end up seeing sustained play in an older format like modern. It's just gonna like mess up standard for like, however the too long period of time it is before they ban it in standard. They have this like straight to ban pipeline for certain magic cards now. You can't convince me that like wizards didn't know that they were just like unleashing a nasty predator into the standard format with this card. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I mean And if nothing else, let us know in the comments. Ob or Ob. Ob. Ob or Obbies. 